0: Good morning. Y'all doing all right? God, that is so weak. What is wrong with y'all? Y'all here? Y'all alive? You good? Yes? It's a holiday weekend. You get off work tomorrow. Like school's out. We should be fired up. Yes? We good? Yeah? Okay, awesome. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. We'll, we'll let the lameness just, I'll ignore it. Okay, so hey, I love you. If you have a Bible or a device for the Bible app, grab those things. Let's go to Mark chapter 6 together. Mark chapter 6 and as you're finding your way there I thought we'd start with a little bible trivia if that's okay so if you know the answer to this question I want you to just shout it out all right here's the question what animal is mentioned more in the scriptures than any other animal okay I heard it like right who just said that sheep yeah sheep that's right uh she you don't even know you got it right but good job uh sheep sheep are mentioned more in the scriptures than any other animal. In fact, they're mentioned over 300 times from cover to cover. And the reason for that's really simple because during biblical times, raising sheep and owning sheep, it was just a normal part of Jewish life and culture, which meant when the Jewish people picked up their Bibles and read them, they would have understood the many implications of the biblical biblical passages in which God compares us as people to sheep. Now, I imagine most of us are different, right? Like, the majority of us in the room today probably aren't hanging out with sheep on a regular basis, which means we could read those same passages and easily miss what God is trying to communicate through that comparison. So I thought I'd help us out today and just give you a few basic facts on sheep. You excited yet? You glad you came to church on Memorial Day weekend? All right, here we go. Just a few, all right? Uh, First, sheep, they're not the brightest animals on the planet. Uh, If you had a box of crayon, sheep would be like the color gray, Okay tracking so far? Yeah. Uh, Next, they're defenseless animals and they're prone to wander away from the rest of the flock at times. It's almost like ADD is built into their DNA. Uh, Third, they have very poor eyesight. Sheep don't see very well. And so they're known for following other sheep blindly. So chances are if one sheep goes off the cliff, all his sheep buddies are going off the cliff behind him. And then finally, sheep are known for being very stubborn animals. Like at times, it takes some extra incentive and extra motivation to get a sheep to do what you want it to do. And so upon hearing that, you might think to yourself, wow, sounds like God was trying to insult us by comparing us to those awful animals. And if so, I need you to know today that God's intention was never to insult. All right. Instead, he compares us to sheep for a very, very different reason, which I'll explain. Uh, Because sheep aren't so bright, Because they're defenseless, they're prone to wonder, because they don't see very well, uh, because they're just stubborn animals, they need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them, to care for them, to provide for them, protect them, uh, strengthen them, to go out and find them when they wander away and get lost. And so the point of the comparison is really simple. God is trying to help us see in the scriptures just how much we all need someone to do those very things for us. And before you start to argue that, let's just get honest if we can, all right? We're all stubborn people, aren't we? Like all of us, including this guy standing on the platform. Uh, If you say you're not stubborn, you either don't know what stubborn means or you're lying. Don't we all at times... Uh, Have tendencies to wander away from God and to pursue things that are dangerous for us spiritually, physically, emotionally? Yes. Uh, Don't we all follow other people blindly at times without ever questioning if they have our best interest in mind? Here's what we'll have to get really honest. You ready? Don't we all have an incredible ability to make some really, really dumb decisions, even in spite of knowing how dumb those decisions are? Yeah. Well, look. Here's the beauty. God knows all these things about us. He knows how sin, the presence and power of sin in our world has infected and affected us in every way. He knows our tendencies. tendencies. He knows our struggles. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our hearts. And because God knows us completely, he also knows we need a shepherd. And the amazing promise that we find in the scripture is this, that in Jesus, God himself has offered himself to us freely as that shepherd we need. And that's the reality we're going to find in our passage for today, this miracle that we're studying. It's the only miracle found in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which indicates its importance, not just for the early church, but also for us as believers today. You see, first and foremost, it's a miracle that reveals to us who Jesus is as the son of God and shepherd of his people but it also reveals who we should be as his followers, both in character and in our love for others. So, with that in mind, we'll dive in and get to work. All right? If your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 6, we're going to pick up and start reading in verse 30. Here's what it says It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them coming and going, and they recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, we'll stop there and talk, all right? Uh, if you're new to Crosspoint, or this is your first time with us in a long time, this entire year we've been in a series on the Gospel of Mark. And just last Sunday, we covered some verses in the message that appear before these, uh, Mark 6, verses 7 through 13, in which Jesus sends his disciples out into the world on mission. Well, as we just read in verse 30, now they're back. And apparently, their mission stirred up so much curiosity that they didn't come back alone, right? Verse 31 says, even after returning, so many people were still coming and going that the disciples couldn't even, like, relax and eat, Well, Jesus knew what that felt like from personal experience. And so he said to his disciples, look, let's just get out of here for a little while. Let's get off the radar. Let's go somewhere by ourselves where you guys can relax and take it easy. And so they start to leave. But instead of waving goodbye and wishing them well, Mark says that the crowd actually ran ahead of them and beat them to where they were going. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little creepy to me. That's the kind of behavior that necessitates restraining orders. But, But at the same time, I would also argue that it's very, very convicting. And here's what I mean by that. Apparently, there was so much intrigue and so much interest in the ministry of the disciples that these people who were far from God continued to pursue them for more and more and more, which raises a huge question in my mind, and it's this. Do we, as followers of Jesus, love and serve people out in the world so well that we find those people pursuing us and pursuing us and pursuing us for more? Like, are we so intentional about meeting needs that when needs arise, people naturally run to us because they don't know where else to go to have their needs met? I pray that that would be true of our church that we would be a people so relentless and so loving in our pursuit of those far from God, that those same people would relentlessly pursue us in response. But I have to be honest with you, and please don't miss this. Look, while that type of pursuit is rewarding, it can also be absolutely exhausting. It's kind of like parenting. Any parents in the room? Okay, a lot of parents. Uh, If you're a parent, you're going to get this because you've had this experience, right? Uh, You come home from work, and it's been long, and it's been stressful, and you're tired. And all you want to do is come home and sit down somewhere and eat and relax. But as soon as you walk in the door, your kids come at you in full force, right? They're saying your name over and over. If you have young kids like I do, they're asking you for toys and for snacks, and they want to watch TV. Or if you have a teenager, they're asking you for money and for the car keys, And all you want to do is find a corner where you can hide somewhere, but you can't because you know they're going to find you. It's like you can't get any relaxation or peace whatsoever. I need you to know that that's what the mission of Jesus feels like at times. Look, when you take it seriously, you see, when you spend your life pouring yourself out for the sake of others, needy people have a way of just popping up in your life at the most inconvenient times. And in those moments, you have a decision to make. And it's the same decision Jesus had to make in our passage. Uh, Look at verse 34. I'll explain what I mean. Mark goes on and he writes this. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. If you write in your Bibles, I would really encourage you to underline this next portion of the verse we're going to read. This will really help shape the rest of the message. Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So just get the scene in your mind, if you will, all right? As their boat is coming into shore, the disciples look out, and they see a group of people with goofy smiles on their faces waving at them. Hey, right? And they're looking, and they're thinking, those look like the same people we were just trying to get away from. And as they get closer, they realize those are the same people. Now, I'm curious, have you ever shown up to like a family gathering or get together with friends? And as soon as you pull in the driveway, you see that person or those people that make you think, if I would have known they were going to be here, I wouldn't have shown up, right? And all you want to do is put your car in reverse and leave. You've been there? This is a safe place. Sorry, we can be honest. I've been there too, all right? Part of me wonders if this is how the disciples felt. Their boat's coming into shore and maybe they thought or even said out loud, are you kidding me? We're trying to get away. We're trying to get some rest. We're tired and we're hungry. Jesus, can we please turn this boat around and just go somewhere else? Look, we don't know if that's what they were thinking or saying. I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. All we know from what we see in the text is this that Jesus, as their leader, had to make a decision in this moment. And the decision was this Do I get off this boat and express frustration and annoyance with these needy people, or do I respond differently? What I love about Jesus, and this challenges me so much personally, not as a pastor, but as a sinful man, challenges me so much. Jesus, in the text, we see him responding differently. Mark says that Jesus gets off the boat, comes ashore, and he had compassion on these people. To have compassion on someone, it means so much more than you simply feeling sorry for them, right? It transcends you seeing a person in need and thinking to yourself, oh, that's too bad, Oh, hate what they're going through. Hope things turn around soon. No, true compassion is when you allow yourself to feel the pain of a suffering person to the point where you have to act on their behalf. And this is what Jesus did, right? I mean, we read in verse 34 that he acted on their behalf first by feeding them spiritually through his teachings. And then in just a few moments we'll see Jesus acting them uh, acting again and feeding them physically through performing a divine miracle. And Mark tells us exactly why he did it. It goes back to what I told you to underline in your Bibles. Mark says that Jesus had compassion on these people because they were like a sh- they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you think back to our facts about sheep at the beginning of the message, that should make sense, right? Here's what that means. It means that Jesus saw these people and he realized They're lost, they're helpless, they're weak, they're needy. They have no nourishment, no provision, no protection. They need a shepherd. And out of his great love for these people who had absolutely nothing to offer him, Jesus became for them the shepherd that they needed. Listen, it's through this incredible display of compassion that we really get to see the heart of Jesus for needy, broken people. And two critical truths about him are revealed. And I'll throw them up here. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. First, uh, this passage reveals to us that Jesus is the good shepherd. That Jesus is the good shepherd. If you go back to the Old Testament and you study some of the passages that talk about sheep and shepherds, some patterns start to surface. One of those patterns we've already talked about, which is God's use of sheep as a portrayal of his people. Another pattern is God's use of shepherds as a portrayal of human leaders, specifically prophets, priests, and kings whom he called and established to provide spiritual guidance and protection for his people. A third pattern that you'll see is the failure of many of those human leaders. A lot of those people that God God called to be in charge, they got it wrong, they dropped the ball, they didn't lead well, and so there were several seasons throughout the Old Testament in which Israel lived as sheep without a shepherd. Look, it was in light of those failures that in Ezekiel 34, God made an incredible, incredible promise to his people. Here's what he says, and this will be on the screens for you. Ezekiel writes, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness. I love this. God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will, I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. The fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So here's the promise. God says to his people, look, there's coming a day when I myself will come for you and serve as your good shepherd. I'm going to seek you out, and I'm going to save you. And after I do, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to restore you. And unlike all those human shepherds you've had, I will never fail you. And then we get to the New Testament, and we come to Jesus And in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says about himself, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one Ezekiel spoke of. I'm the God who in the Old Testament made all those promises to you, my people, that I would seek you out and save you and lead you. Listen, this is the depiction of Jesus that Mark is trying to get us to see in this passage. Through using this sheep shepherd language, he's trying to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of the world and onto him so we can see him for who he truly is. He's God in the flesh, he's Savior of the world. He is the good shepherd. Now, the second thing the text reveals about Jesus is this, and it goes hand in hand with the first that the good shepherd loves his sheep. That the good shepherd loves his sheep. Over my years in ministry, I have talked to countless, countless people who have a really, really hard time comprehending the love and care of God for them. And I've often found that it's for different reasons, but it really all boils down to this. There's a lot of people out there that believe that God only loves the lovable and that he only helps those who help themselves. Have you heard people talk like this? Listen, the implication of that belief is simple. That if a person is struggling or lost or weak or helpless that god either avoids them or punishes them until they can get their act together I need you to know today that if that's the belief about god you drug in the door with you Everything you think about him is wrong Because nowhere in the scriptures does it teach that god loves the lovable or helps those who help themselves In fact, the scripture teaches just the opposite the gospel declares just the opposite. It says to us that God loves even the most unlovable and that God extends his help to the weak, the needy, and the helpless. And look up here, if you will. I need you to know God doesn't do those things begrudgingly because he has to. He does them compassionately because he wants to. It's what we see in our story, right? Jesus gets off the boat and instead of seeing these people and thinking to himself... I'm so tired, I'm so hungry, like I'm sick of serving people all the time. When is anybody going to ever do anything for me? He gets off the boat and he goes, they're lost. They're helpless. They're weak. They're defenseless. They need a shepherd. And Jesus steps in and he serves that role, right? When these people had nothing to offer, he gave everything. And isn't it true that Jesus has done the same for us? I mean, again, you go back to John 10, verse 11, after Jesus says about himself, I am the good shepherd, he then goes on to say, and the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. You see, just as a human shepherd would put his life on the line to protect his flock from wolves, from bears, from lions, 2,000 years ago, Jesus put his life on the line for us. It was out of his great love, the Bible says, that Jesus went to the cross, and he took beatings, and he took nails, and he laid his life down in our place for our sins. And he did it all to save us out of the hands of our enemy. You see, when you and I were at our worst, Jesus gave his best, and when we had absolutely nothing to offer him, he offered everything. I know I've said this countless times here at Crosspoint in the past, but I will keep saying it as long as I'm your pastor, okay? So if you get tired of hearing it, just get over it. You need to hear it anyway. So let me just say it. You ready? If you ever question the love and care of God for you, take your eyes off the things of this world and look at the cross, and remember that the God of the universe crushed his son under the weight of your sins and iniquities out of his love for you. And you let his sacrifice and his resurrection from the dead remind you that he is your good shepherd who loves you deeply. Now look, if that's who Jesus is, like if all that's true of him, is, he is if he is truly the good shepherd who loves his sheep, well that then begs the question, um, what kind of sheep should we be if we're following him as our shepherd, Right? Like, how should his character and his love for us shape our character and our love for others? Well, the good news is those questions are answered in many ways in the rest of the passage. So go back with me to verse 35. Let's keep reading. Mark continues, and he says this, When it grew late, his disciples came to him, and he said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, key phrase, we'll come back to this, you give them something to eat. Love that statement. Again, it's worth underlining in your Bible, all right? Here's the first thing the text reveals uh, to us about sheep. That sheep assume responsibility for the needs of other sheep. That sheep assume responsibility for the needs of other sheep. What's interesting is that the disciples attempted to do just the opposite in what we just read, right? It got late they got tired. The crowd got hungry and they probably started thinking to themselves, there is nothing more we can do for these needy people. And so they attempt to push responsibility back onto Jesus. They say to him, Jesus, you send these people away. You tell them to get lost. Jesus, you address their needs by sending them into the local villages so that they can buy themselves something to eat. Now, again, I'm curious, have you ever done something like this? Have you ever encountered a person in need only then to push responsibility back onto Jesus? Like, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Just one, I could give a variety, but I'll give you one example to help make sense of my question, all right? Let's say you encounter that single mom who's working multiple jobs, she's struggling financially, her car just broke down, and all of her kids' clothes are too small because she doesn't have enough money to replace them, right? And so you meet this woman, and yeah, you feel bad for her, But at the same time, if you're being honest, you don't really want to be inconvenienced by her because you're busy and you got a lot of important things going on in life, right? And so you say to her, trying to be spiritual, listen, I'll pray for you. And then you go to Jesus and you say, hey, Jesus, uh, just met a woman. She's got a bunch of needs in her life, just wanted to make you aware you might want to do something about her. Like, I'm convinced because of what I see in the scriptures that in moments like those, Jesus is saying the same exact thing back to us. And he's saying, uh, you make plenty of money. In fact, you just got a bonus at work. You have a car sitting in your garage that you barely drive. Your kids have a ton of extra clothes they don't even wear anymore. Why don't you do something to help her? I mean, isn't that how Jesus responded in our passage? The disciples say, Jesus, do something for these people. And he says, no, you give them something to eat. Don't try to push responsibility back onto me. You take responsibility, which again is a great reminder that as followers of Christ, it's our responsibility to care for the needs of other people. We don't ignore needs and we don't shove them off on others. And look, as your pastor who loves prayer, and you know this, I have a heart for prayer, call our church to prayer all the time about so many things. We don't even pray for needs when we have the ability to meet them ourselves. We do not use, look, we do not use prayer as an excuse for inaction. That is a sinful way to use prayer. What do we do? We simply assume responsibility for the needs of other people, and we do it compassionately. Why? Because that's what Jesus, our good shepherd, has done for us. Number two, the second thing the passage reveals is this, that sheep trust in God's resources instead of counting their own. That sheep trust in God's resources instead of counting their own. If you're taking notes, you can write that down, and we'll read a couple of verses, and then we'll unpack that, all right? Let's pick back up. Continue in verse 37. The disciples say back to Jesus, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. So this is interesting, Right? Jesus, you take care of them. No, no, you give them something to eat. And upon hearing that, what do they do? They start counting their own resources, don't they? And they say to Jesus somewhat sarcastically, yeah, all right, what what are we supposed to do? we supposed to go spend 200 denarii worth of money to buy food for these people so that we can give them something to eat? Just to put that question in perspective, one denarii was the wage, uh, uh, was the day's wage of an average worker during this time. So 200 denarii would have been about eight months worth of pay. So Jesus responds and he basically says, listen, since you're so busy counting your own resources, uh, why don't you go see how much food you have? And so they go away and they check and they come back and they say to Jesus, probably in doubt and frustration, all we have is five loaves of bread and two fish. Now I assume because these guys were human and they're a lot like us, that they were probably expecting Jesus to say back in this moment, oh, that's too bad, I was really hoping you'd say we had more, right? I mean, there's 5,000 men out there. That doesn't even count the women and children. Obviously, that isn't enough to feed them. So we'll just go with your plan, and I'll send them away. Now, before we start beating up on these guys too much over that assumption, again, let's have an honest moment. We've all been there, haven't we? I mean, haven't you experienced God at times calling you to give something or to meet a tangible need in someone's life And instead of trusting in his resources, you start counting your own. And because your resources are limited, you start to get frustrated and you become fearful. And you find yourself going back to God going, God, I don't have enough. There's no way this is going to work. Listen, if you've ever been there, I'll tell you what I love about this miracle, and I pray that this helps set you free in some ways. This miracle reminds us that when we spend more time trusting in God's resources rather than counting our own, that God is able to use us in far greater ways than we could ever imagine. It also reminds us, look, it also reminds us that when God is the one calling us to do something that seems impossible, we can always trust him to provide the necessary resources to accomplish the task he's calling us to accomplish. And I'll show you what I mean. All right, let's go back one more time and we'll end here. Verse 39, it says, then Jesus, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. I love that detail there about the green grass. Uh, It kind of takes us back to Psalm 23, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's just another little detail there that reminds us of who Jesus is, as our good shepherd. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and they were what? Say that word out loud. Satisfied. Come on, don't you love that? This is like they went to the Golden Corral buffet and threw down for a couple hours. This is not like everybody got a bite and they left still wanting some. No, this is how God does it. When He shows up and He meets needs, He leaves people satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. So they started with not enough and they left with more than they needed. Isn't that awesome? What a testimony to the disciples of what Jesus is capable of. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Again, that doesn't include women and children. And so there could have been well over 10,000 people here on this day. Amazing. These guys come to Jesus. Jesus, all we have is five loaves and two fish. And I picture Jesus saying back to them, Five loaves and two fish, that's awesome. Like I can work with that. I mean, it's not in the text, but that's just how I see it, right? And so he, he tells everybody, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. And they all start sitting down in groups of 50s and 100s, as we read. And Jesus takes the loaves, and he takes the fish, and he looks to heaven. This is Jesus' prayer posture in that moment, which is a good reminder that we don't always have to pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. Jesus looks to heaven, and he blesses the food, and he breaks it, and then this is key. He gives it to the disciples. If you look up that word gave in the original Greek language of the New Testament, you find that the word is in the imperfect tense, which I know means absolutely nothing to you, but it's highly significant because the tense of that word implies that the food literally multiplied in Jesus' hands, that he just kept giving it and giving it and giving it to them. Again, that's significant for a variety of reasons, one of them being what it reveals to us about sheep. And this is the final thing we'll talk about. That sheep see Jesus giving to them to give through them. That sheep see Jesus giving to them to give through them. The reality is Jesus could have given that food to the people on his own, right? I mean, if he wanted, he could have made it miraculously appear in front of them. Or he could have just taken away their hunger. All right, problem solved. Uh, Need doesn't exist anymore. We don't need food. But he didn't. Instead, he looks at his disciples. Don't miss this. And he says, you're going to feed this crowd. And then he places in their hands what they needed to accomplish the task. And I need you to understand today, this is still the same strategy Jesus uses with us. You see, it's his followers. We have been called to go into the world and to serve those in both physical and spiritual need. And as we go, Jesus places certain things in our hands, not because he wants us to keep them but because he wants us to use them and give them away for the sake of those needy people. The question is, do we see it that way? Like, Do we recognize that Jesus gives certain things to us because he's trying to give them through us? This is a huge question, isn't it? Especially in our culture where the majority of people and even some church people view their money and their stuff and even their talents and their abilities as belonging to them And therefore, they use those things for no other purpose than personal pleasure and status. This is why people get offended when you start asking them to give their things away, right? That's why some of us, we show up to church, and if it's a message on stuff or money, immediately we're thinking, ugh, why did I come today? People who think that way view themselves as owners. And in their minds, they're constantly asking the question, why would I give away all this stuff that I own that defeats the very purpose of ownership? But I'm telling you, as followers of Jesus, we have to take on a different mindset. And the reason's very simple. We follow a shepherd who is a giver. And if we want to be like our good shepherd who gave his life for us, it means we also must be givers. But being a giver, it, it forces you to understand, first and foremost, that you don't own anything. God owns everything, and all that you have comes from him But secondly, you also have to recognize and realize that everything God has placed in your hands, it's meant to serve a kingdom purpose. So in other words, all those things you possess, God didn't give them to you just for your sake. He gave them to you for his sake and for the sake of other people. And when you start to see it that way, look, that's when you're finally able to ask that very, very important question. Jesus, what have you given to me that you're trying to give through me for your glory and for the good of all those people in our world who are living each day as sheep without a shepherd? Look, as we close, I thought we'd do something together. And this might be a little weird, but I want you to do it anyway because everybody's going to be doing it, okay? This is an opportunity in a good way to give in to peer pressure, okay? So just do this with me. I want you right now to stick both of your hands out in front of you, and I want you to close one, and I want you to open the other. Again, I know it's kind of lame, but just do it anyway. All right, I'm doing it, so just do it. All right, here's my question. As you look at your hands, be honest with yourself. Which hand best illustrates your life right now? Do you live this way? Uh, My stuff is my stuff. I earned it, worked hard for it, and I'm going to hold on to it tightly. And as a result, I mean, I know this will be true of myself. I don't take any responsibility for the needs of other people. If God ever asks me to do anything, I'm constantly counting my resources and protecting them at all costs instead of trusting in him. And all those things that God gives to me, well, they stop with me. None of my stuff ever makes its way, makes its way through me to others. It it's just stops with me. Or are you this person who goes, nah, I don't have anything. Nothing belongs to me. I'm not an owner. I'm just a steward. I'm a manager. Everything that I possess, it really and truly belongs to God. And he's given me all that I have. And I understand and realize that part of that means, if I'm going to steward what he's given me well, that I've got to meet the needs of other people when they arise. And, and I've got to be that person, if God's calling me to do something, that constantly trust in him. And I've got to always be asking that question, God, out of all that you've given me, what do you want me to give away for the sake of your kingdom? Again, be honest, which hand best illustrates your life right now in this present moment? Now look up here at me. And you can let it go if you want for a second. Here's what I need you to realize. This is a trust issue. You tracking with me? Either you trust Jesus as your good shepherd who came to seek you out and to save you and to lead you and to care for you and to provide for you. Or you don't. And if you don't, this is the way you live your life. I protect myself. I care for myself. I defend myself. I'll save myself. But if you trust him, all of a sudden your hands start to open. And you realize about life, you know what? Life serves its purpose. When I live open-handedly. If I want to be like my good shepherd, and if I want to follow him, I've got to live this way. So as we close, I just want us right now all over the room to just spend some time praying that Jesus, our good shepherd, would help us to truly trust in him so that we can be like him and reflect his image and his love to the world. So let's bow our heads all over the room. And as you start to settle in, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and to get in their places. And as our prayer team comes, I want to speak to those of you in the room for just a moment who walked in today feeling lost, feeling helpless, feeling weak, feeling hopeless. Maybe you walked in today and you're that person who just kind of feels like you're wandering through life, getting nowhere. And God's made it very clear to you over the last 35 minutes or so that the reason for that is simple. You've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and as your good shepherd. Like you've been looking to the things of this world to try and give you the peace and the joy and the hope that you desperately want and need. But the problem is you've been looking at all the wrong places and at all the wrong things. Again, I just wanna remind you today, God loves you deeply. I mean, he gave up his life for you and he did it so that he could invite you into his family as a son, as a daughter and lavish his love and his kindness on you for eternity. And so if you're that person today who knows, man, I need Jesus. I need him to be my shepherd and my savior. Why don't you just tell him that right now? Just say to him in prayer where you're sitting, Jesus, I need you to be my good shepherd. I need you to lead me and to guide me and to care for me. I need you to deliver me, to strengthen me, to restore me. Jesus, I I need you to change my life forever. And right now, just begin to confess in faith what you believe to be true of him. Just tell him, Jesus, I believe that 2,000 years ago, you gave your life on a cross to save me from my enemy, that you laid your life down in my place for my sins, that you took the punishment I deserved, but I also believe you rose from the dead three days later to defeat sin, death, and hell for me once and for all. And so, Jesus, right now in this moment, would you forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future? Take hold of my life. And, Jesus, would you be for me the good, loving shepherd that I need, Jesus? I say yes to you. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed all across the room, I just want to ask, if you prayed that with me or something like it, would you acknowledge the fact that you made that decision in this moment just by lifting a hand? Just throw your hand up, James. That's me. Put my faith in Jesus for the first time. Just keep your hand up for a moment. Our prayer team is going to come and put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can put your hand out. Anybody else? James, that's me. Put my faith in Jesus for the first time today. Asked him to be my shepherd and my savior. Awesome. All right, well, listen, for the rest of us, here's what we're going to do. The band is going to come and they're going to lead us in one last song. And as they do, we're just going to spend some time responding in whatever way God leads us. If that's in prayer, you pray. If, if you feel led to sing, you sing. If you want to come and, and receive prayer, our prayer team is here. You can pray with them. Or if you want somebody to pray for you, you can just come and kneel at the front of this room and they'll place a hand on you and pray for you. Whatever God's leading you to do, you do it in the next few moments. Father, would you help us to trust you more than we do right now in this moment, each and every one of us. God, would you help us to know and to see each and every day who Jesus is as our shepherd and our savior. God, and would you give us the faith and courage we need to follow him in whatever it is he asks us to do. God, we thank you for your great love for us. Would you continue to work in our hearts and in our lives in the next few moments in ways that only you can. And God, we trust you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond together.